So we are glad that you're here. It is so good to be back together with you again. I missed you guys last week. Missed you, tear. Um, really did. Missed you last year. Hope you or last week. Hope you guys had a uh, a great Thanksgiving. And uh, anybody travel? Anybody eat a lot of good food? Anybody feeling about five pounds heavier tonight because of last week? A couple of you. Who went Black Friday shopping? Let me see. Don't be. Oh, a lot of you. All right. Did you get that deal? You didn't like run over Thelma or some, you know, old lady or something, did you? Hopefully not. So I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. And, um, and so Thanksgiving is kind of one of those, those special, special holidays where we, we look forward to gather together in love and peace and thankfulness around the dinner table with our family and friends and other people that we care about. And maybe that was your experience last week. Maybe that was kind of, that described your Thanksgiving and that's why you love it so much. But uh, that, that would not necessarily describe uh, my family's Thanksgiving last week. So um, we, my, my wife and I and three kids went up to Virginia to uh, see my, my side of the family. So my side of the family is, is we're crazy. All right, there's, there's, it's a big family, there are five of us. Now we got spouses and kids and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we all kind of get together on this, in this small house. It's way too small for that many people. And so our family is full of, not only is there a lot of people, but there's strong personalities. Um, they're not all sweet and innocent like me. There's some, there's some crazy ones in, in the family. So um, thank you for that pity laugh. So there's, there's some crazy ones in the family. And so inevitably we love each other. We care about each other. But there are going to be moments guaranteed that we're going to, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be issues. There's going to be, you know, maybe knock down, drag out fights. Maybe if it gets super crazy, but there's just some dysfunction there. All right. And, um, and this past week was no exception. So for example, like we had only been there three, three or four hours. And one of my family members who will remain nameless, um, screamed at, at our eight-year-old son and then slapped him in the head. And so, and it was, you, you know, so then of course mama bear comes out and I'm upset and I'm like, that's, that's not really cool. I don't really slap my kid. And uh, that was fun. And so then Thanksgiving day comes and football games on and I'm a Redskins fan. And so I'm sitting there, shut up. I'm sitting there watching the game, Redskins, Cowboys, and my older sister who only became a Cowboys fan growing up because I was a Redskins fan. Just to spite me, just to, because she didn't like me. That just, that shows you kind of some of the stuff that's going on in our family. So we're sitting there Thanksgiving and we're yelling at the TV and we're yelling at each other from time to time. And then I'm upset and crying in the corner at the end of the game because my team lost. That was fun. So we found, we fought at different moments over when to take family pictures and then when the picture happened, we all smiled like a loving family. We, um, we argued over how to raise kids. We had, you know, some heated conversations about issues in the country. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, um, and I've even got a, a family member who is on the verge of divorce. And so we talked through that. I mean, it's just, just a, lot of, a lot of issues. And so for my family, we look at that and we think, 
that's kind of normal. Like that's normal to us. We love each other. We're a big family. We're going to get in arguments and things like that, but we love each other. But to the outside world, to those watching, and maybe even now to you that have heard some of the dysfunction, there's one thing that they look at and they think, they think division. They think issues. And maybe that's sometimes how families are. And so there's one family that maybe sometimes feels a lot like that. Maybe there's some similarities that we feel and that's when it comes to the church. Because the church is designed by God to be a family. It is designed by God. It was God's idea. It wasn't like we kind of came up with this whole idea and concept of the church and now we're sitting back there looking at it like going, man, this is kind of, this is not necessarily what we had in mind. This was God's plan. This was God orchestrated. God designed the church and God designed the church to be a place of love. God designed the church for us to have each other's backs, for us to be unified together. And when it works right, to be a powerful force in the world. But sometimes the church can look a lot like what my family sometimes looks like. And rather than seeing unity and things like that, a lot of times we look at the church and we see division. Now there's there's a whole lot of things that we could talk about when it comes to division in the church. But here's just a, some, of, some of the things that we are divided on. Some of these things that create division in the church. There are, we don't even know for sure, but there's probably at least, if not more, 200 different denominations in the U.S. Different types of denominations of the church. And some of those denominations happened... For, for good reason. There's some differences of, of you know, beliefs and things like that. But there are a lot of them that happen because of division that took place hundreds of years ago. So even if, as you look at all the di- different denominations, it doesn't necessarily on the surface appear like a, like a unified church. We, we're divided over worship style. You want to see some heated conversations. You start talking with two people that disagree about style of worship. Man, should it be contemporary? Should it be traditional? Should we have a band? Should we not have a band? Should we have an organ? Should we not have an organ? Should we sit in pews? Should we have hymnals? Or should we sing modern songs? I mean, there's all kinds of different divisions when it comes to style of worship. We disagree on theology. If you go to a lot of these different denominations and and types of churches, and, and there will be, hopefully not when it comes to the essentials, but... There's, there's things, different theology, different things that, that we've kind of come up or adopted, adapted as our own, come up with our own, and maybe even the culture has influenced that. And as, as the church goes on, the culture kind of influences that, and we go, well, maybe I don't really believe this about God, or I don't really believe this about Jesus, or about the Bible. So there's divisions there when it comes to theology. We disagree over who should and shouldn't be welcomed at church. I bet if you went to five or six different churches, you might feel differently in all of them about based on how you dressed or maybe what your issues are or the people that you came in with or whatever. There's going to be just the fact that you're young. There's going to be different opinions about whether or not you belong or other people belong in church based on all kinds of different reasons. Even personal issues. You haven't really seen conflict until you've seen one deacon straight up punch another deacon over what color the carpet should be in the church. 
All right. And that sounds messed up, but that kind of stuff happens. And it's personal preference. And it's, man, I've sat in this, I've sat in that chair and nobody else can really sit in that chair. I've parked in that parking spot or, you know, I believe that the church should operate this way or it should look like this or we should get involved in this thing or we should not get involved with this thing. And there's all kinds of personal preferences that get in the way and create division. No joke, I, I served at a church uh, a long, long time ago um, who um, I never, I've never seen a more divisive, divided church in my life. And the church staff and the leadership were incredibly divided. In fact, and this is, I promise this happened. The, um, we're in a staff meeting uh, one day and the pastor of, of the church who was part of the, the, the problem, he, um, he stood before the entire staff and he used a mob um, like a mob movie illustration of, you know, the, this, these guys beating this guy with a baseball bat and use that to threaten the rest of the staff about how we should be unified. <laughs> Which, honestly, as I'm sitting in the room, did the opposite of what he wanted to happen. It didn't create unity, it created more division. And then there's w- one thing that may create more division than any any other of these issues that I mentioned. And we, it's one of those things we don't really want to talk about that much. It's something we sort of like to pretend that it doesn't really exist, that it's not really there. And that's racism. Racism is a huge division in the church. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the most segregated hour in the United States was Sunday at 11 o'clock. And here's the problem with that statement. He said that in 1962, and over 50 years later, that's still true. In fact, the the Pew Research Center out of Washington, D.C., back in 2015, estimated that 80% of U.S. churchgoers go to churches where one ethnic or racial group accounts for 80% of the congregation. In other words, their research showed that white people go to white churches and black people go to black churches and Hispanic people go to Hispanic churches. And there is, again, in other words, what Dr. Martin Luther King said is true, that there is no more segregated hour in our country than 11 o'clock on Sunday. Michael Emerson, who's a university leader and author, he says, until... Blacks and whites pray together. U.S. race relations are fundamentally unhealthy. There is no getting around this. Mark Demas, who's a pastor, he says, racism is ultimately a spiritual problem. There is no hope of overcoming systemic racism in the U.S. until it's first overcome in the American church. So what that basically shows is, is that the church is on the opposite end of where we should be when it comes to ending racism. So there's all kinds of divisions in the church. There's all kinds of different things that separate us, that create walls that either we build or we allow other people to build between us. And maybe we're quick to kind of dismiss that. And say, um, you know, that's, that's other churches. That's not us. Like that, that happens out there. But that's, that's not really true of, of in here. That's not really true of Reckless. All right. So August. Back in August, I'm sitting on a, a curb right out here. 
And there's these um, two students that are, that are sitting out there. And I'm, you know, we're trying to get you guys into small groups. And so they're sitting there. I'm like, hey, guys, come on. We're getting ready to start small groups. And they said, well, we're actually leaving. And I said, you're leaving. We just, we just started. Why are you leaving? And, and so we proceeded to have a conversation. And this was their first time that they'd ever been to Reckless. And they said that when they got there, there was a group of other students, girls from their school, who saw them show up and walked over to them and began to bully them and call them names and basically made them feel like they were unwelcome here. And so I apologize profusely. That's not what we want to be about. We love you. We want you here. And they have, they have not been back since. About a month ago, there were a couple, couple guys that almost got into a, a fist fight out here in the atrium over something that started in here with something. Some kind of issue that started in the service. And there almost was a knockdown drag out fight that, that a couple leaders had to jump in and, and separate them. Otherwise, it would have gotten worse. I feel like there's, I have conversations with students and maybe some of you who have expressed a desire to switch small groups because of the division that they saw in in a group that they visited. I've heard stories of students who in the same small group refused to speak to each other because of differences and division and things like that. And they basically just pretend like they're not even there. Now, I'd like to think that maybe those are just isolated instances, and maybe that's true. But I think we'd be naive to say that division only happens out there and it doesn't exist here. And look, I'm I'm not in any way saying that our, our small groups are not doing a good job or that, you know, everything is bad. I'm not trying to, you know, paint some really dark picture of of what we're doing right now. Because there's so much good that's happening. There's so many great things that are happening in your small group. And so I don't, want you, I don't want you to mishear me here that I'm saying that we're doing things wrong. But I also think that because small groups especially are the most important thing we do. And because we kind of wave that banner and we say that. Which is all the more reason why we've got to be honest about some of the, the things that are going on. We've got to be real enough to say, you know what? There are some issues that are going on in my small group. There is some division that takes place in this room. And because it is the most important thing that we do, that's not stuff that we can just sweep under the rug or ignore or just pretend like it's not there. But we've got to drag it out into the light and we've got to talk through it and work it out. Now I mentioned in our, back in, 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 uh, at the beginning of the year in our We Are Reckless series that we get a chance to look at the chaos of this world and to offer something better. But sometimes as I you know, hear some of the issues that are going on and things like that, and especially as we look at the church as a whole, I fear that not only do we, not, that we, do, that not only do we look very similar to the world, but we can often sometimes even look worse than the world. For example, when was the last time that you heard people in the world say, you know, we've really made a mess. There's a lot of division in this country. There's a lot of division in this world. Man, we've really made a mess of things. Let's go to the church and allow them to help us because they're doing this right. 
You don't ever, you don't ever really hear that. And I'm not trying to heap on, I'm not trying to bash the church or saying that, you know, it's a horrible place or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not. The church is an amazing thing. The church is designed by God to be the hope of the world. And yet just the reality of it is from an outside world looking in, we're falling far short of what God has designed us to be. And it's a big enough deal that Jesus had some very harsh words to say when it came to this. Here's what he says in Luke 11, verse 17. Jesus said to them, to the crowd, he said, every kingdom that is divided against itself will be destroyed. And a family that is divided against itself will not continue. So Jesus is saying, look, a kingdom cannot exist if it's divided against itself. It will be destroyed. A family that's divided against itself will not succeed. A ministry, reckless, if we're divided against each other, if there are walls that we put up between each other, then the outcome, the result of that will not be a great thing. So in order for us to fix this, we got to figure out how do we get here? How did this happen? What's the root cause of all this division in the church? I think there's a lot of different things that we could say, but I think at the root of it all is this. Division in the church happens because we fail to see as God sees. That we are in need of his love and his grace just as much as anyone else. I think when you boil it down, it comes to the fact, down to the fact that what creates all these divisions and all these issues and all this conflict is, is the fact that we don't really see as God sees. And what God sees are people who are equal in his eyes and they are desperately in need of his love and his grace. That my sin is no better or no worse than your sin. And your sin is no better or no worse than the person's next to you. And when we fail to see that, what happens is we end up getting prideful and we start thinking better of ourselves. And we start looking around at other people and we start feeling like, you know what, God loves me more or my sin's not as big of a deal. Yeah, I've got my issues, but man, it's not your issue. Your issue is a bigger deal than my issue. Your struggle is a bigger deal than my struggle. And we start getting prideful and arrogant. And then when, when there is dissension or when somebody says something to us, we get angry. And then when we get angry and someone offends us, we start holding grudges and we refuse to forgive. And at the end of it, we've forgotten that Jesus has done the exact opposite for us. When Jesus could have gotten angry, he loved us. When Jesus could have been prideful and arrogant, he served us. When he could have condemned us, he gave up his life and he died for us. So if there's division in the church and if it's caused because of at the root of it, we fail to understand that all of us are in need to the same extent of God's love and God's grace, then what is God's vision for the church? How can we see as God sees? 
God's vision for the church is simple in its statement, and yet it's incredibly difficult to live out. God's vision for the church is to love each other like he loves us. God's vision for the church when it comes to you and I as reckless or as the church as a whole, God's vision, God's desire is for us to love each other like he loves us. Jesus said as much in John 15, he says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So Jesus commands us, love each other as I have loved you. Now we're very quick to say, that's simple, that's basic. Like I get that, I've heard that. We're supposed to love other people. We're supposed to serve each other. Jesus serves us. I got that. And, And if we kind of dismiss that as basic, what that does is it reveals that we really don't understand how radical God's love is for us. If we just sort of kind of like check it off and go, yeah, I got that one. It's cool. I know that. I know that answer. I kind of do that. Then we really, at the the heart of it, I don't know that we really understand how radical God's love is. Because this command that Jesus gives us, there may not be a harder command for us to follow than that one. Love each other like I have loved you. And if we really understand how much God loves us, that's a really difficult command. That's an almost impossible command to fulfill. That is incredibly challenging for us. And it's not something that we can just sort of dismiss and go, yeah, okay, cool. But man, that's inspiring. Man, that is powerful. And that's the vision that God has for us. That is the thing that Jesus prayed for right before he went to the cross. When he was thinking about the sacrifice that he was about to make. When he's drip, you know, sweating drops of blood because of just the anxiety and the sheer weight of the sacrifice that he's about to make for us. That's what he is envisioning when he prays for you and for me to the Father. Here's what he says in John 17. He says to God, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So before we dismiss that as basic and like, yeah, I got that. Understand the weight of Jesus's words. If anybody understood how difficult that was going to be, it was Jesus. In that moment, as he's about to to 
carry out the greatest sacrifice that anyone could ever give. And as he's thinking about the command that he gave just a short time earlier for his disciples and all of us to love each other as he has loved us. Jesus understood how difficult this was going to be, which is why he prayed for us for that. And if we're to pull this off, if we're able to live out that commandment that Jesus has given, then you talk about a powerful force in the world, in our community. That's what we would become. And if we don't, then is there really any difference between us and what happens outside these walls? Is there really any difference? And if we claim that we love Jesus and yet we are not willing to work and to fight for the things that Jesus envisions and the thing that Jesus prays for, then do we really believe what we say we believe? See, this command challenges our faith. This command challenges our small group. This command challenges our ministry. And when it's put to the test, it reveals so much about who we are. It reveals whether or not we really believe the core message that Jesus was all about. As we were singing just a little bit earlier, I was kind of sitting, standing over here, um, and you're just kind of watching you guys worship. And, um, and I don't know necessarily God gave me a vision or any of that kind of stuff, but I, I just was just kind of thinking about th- this message, and I thought, man, there, there is no gr- more equal time where all of us are on the same place than when we worship. Because our, our hands all lift the same. They all communicate our same desperate need for a God who loved us enough to give up his life for us. And there's so many differences in this room, whether it be school campuses that we go to or the way that we dress or the things that we're into. or There's so many things that are different about us in this room. But what makes it so powerful is that when our hands are lifted in this room, we're all equally in need and desperate for God's love and for God's grace and for God's presence. And there may not be a better time that communicates the heart of God for his people than when we worship. Because we're all saying, my sin is a big deal to you, God. And the person next to you saying, my sin is a big deal to you, God. And we're all worshiping and we're all in need of you. We're all desperate for the life that only you can give us. What a powerful testimony that is for other students who may walk in this room and watch us worship and say, man, there's so many differences, but man, I've never seen somebody more united than when I see him right here in this moment. 
And if we would start just living out in relationship to each other, in our small groups, in this room, as we go through the halls of our school, looking through that lens as Jesus gives us eyes to see the fact that we are all equally in need of God's love and God's grace. And if we would do that, then it would be some powerful things that the world would see. And my prayer is that we would see as God sees and that God would give us the strength to love as he loves. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the students who are here tonight. God, I thank you for this ministry. God, I thank you for your church. God, we've got scars and we've got wounds and so many of them are self-inflicted. And we mess things up all the time. God, I thank you that you chose us to be your tool to go into a dark world who is so divided, has so many issues, and allows us to paint a picture of something better. God, I pray that we may take that seriously. God, I pray that, that we may see as you see, that we would understand that there are none of us in this room who are more deserving of your love and your grace than anyone else. In fact, we are completely 100% undeserving of it. God, we thank you that you love us enough that you gave up your life for us. God, I pray that that would motivate us to love each other as you have loved us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.